Welcome to the Writer Dojo with your hosts, Steve Diamond. That's me. And Larry Korea. That is not dead, which can eternal lie, and with strange eons, even death may die. Today's episode, Science Fantasy. Welcome back to the Writer Dojo, everyone. Glad to have you back with us. Larry uses my favorite quote from Lovecraft for that one. It was low-hanging fruit. That's right. Because of today's topic made me think of Lovecraft. Couldn't help it. So today, today, Larry, we're going to talk about science fantasy, the genre of, of science fantasy. And who better to talk about this, because definitely not us. We have our good friend in the studio with us again, Chris Rocchio. Chris, nice to see you. Thanks for having me back. All right. So, Chris, when you introduce yourself, typically, you always say, I, I write science fantasy. Sure. And for those of you who somehow missed the last episode that Chris was on, uh, Chris writes the Sun Eater series. It's a science fantasy series for, it started out with Daw and now it's with Bane. Um, awesome, awesome stuff. Larry and I are huge fans of it. But Chris, I need to know when you say you write science fantasy, what do you mean? Okay, so what I mean uh, is that I want anybody who's expecting science fiction, right, with very technical explanations to understand that this is not that. Uh, because uh, these genre terms really are marketing marketing terms at right. this point, uh, especially if you get really specific, right? You know, over on the indie side of things, you've got to be really specific. Um, but I, I want to make sure that everybody kind of knows that when I say this is a science fiction series, right – uh, that it's kind of different. It's more Star Wars than Star Trek, right? Uh, and even, you know, of course, Star Trek is kind of kind of weird sometimes, right? We got Q and whatnot. But uh, I want people to know that they are they're getting into um, you know a story that feels more like a fantasy, but it is in space, and there are you know battleships and robots and all of that stuff. Because uh, really, like genre is something like adventure or you know romance or biography. It's not like science fiction can do all of those things. Fantasy can do all of those things. Fantasy and science fiction are like like super genres or, you know, they're, they're above genre in some way. Uh, and so, um, you know, I just, I want people to, uh, to know, right, that they're getting a little bit of both, right? You know, the, there's sort of weird, uh, not quite magic, but there's like some weird supernatural elements to the series, uh, you know, in the same way that there is with something like Star Wars. But there's also some technical stuff. You know, I try, um, let's say to, let's, I flirt with the laws of physics. I don't, I don't, I don't break them, uh, you know, too much. But, um, you know, uh, but I, you know, I want people to know they're getting, you know, both chocolate and peanut butter, I suppose, when I say that, uh, just so mm. they've got their expectations dialed in, in the right way. As opposed to like hard science fiction where like, if you're reading David Weber, it's chocolate, peanut butter and, uh, differential equations. Yeah. Yeah. Or yeah, yeah exactly. And, and cause, cause if people get the wrong idea about what your book is from a pitch, right. You know, I've done, I've done a lot of conventions, you know, selling at booths and things and you get writers who will. They're so desperate to sell a book, they will turn their book into whatever it is the other person wants to hear. Oh, yeah. And yeah. that's how you get that's, bad reviews. Yeah, we've seen um, that. And worse is how you waste people's time, right? And you shouldn't be like trying to get someone who is um, a romance reader to read your book if there's no romance in it. That's like not a cool move. Uh, I mean, I, I think I think the three of us we've we've stood next to each other at, at a few cons. Selling. Yeah, we've worked we've worked some booths. Yeah, and and generally when it comes to science fiction y stuff. You know, they, they, they come to me when they want to be scared. They come to Larry when they want, when they want like high octane guns blazing adventure. And when they, when they want science fiction, we, Larry and I look at each other and then we point at you. We did actually, we, uh, last fan X, I think is where yeah, you, you were out here for that. Yeah. We, we sent people 
that direction. Uh, I, we've talked about genres, different genres on the show several times, including genres that we that we're not experts on. Yeah. And uh, it was good to actually have somebody who who is, uh, I would say, probably one of the um, uh, more popular current working guys in that subgenre. Who else out there would you describe as science fantasy? Like, what other franchises would you say are good indicators of this? Uh, sort of working now is kind of a trick because I don't, I, you know, I, I gotcha. worked for Bane for so long that I wasn't reading anything except for work. Uh, and I, I can't think of another one that Bane published sort of. Yeah, that's kind of a gotcha question. I, 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 no, no, it's okay. Because writers, like, we quit reading. It like, 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 kills our reading time. Yeah, but cl- classically, right, um, Edgar Rice Burroughs, John Carter of Mars, absolutely. Uh, they used to call it um, planetary romance yep. or, you know, romance in the sense of adventure, not in the sense of, you know, making out and stuff. Uh, but uh, uh, so, uh, or they called it Sword and Planet. Uh, sort of as a companion to Sword and Sorcery, right? Um, so he's a big one. Uh, you know, Dune really is there, right? How does Paul? How do Paul's superpowers work? I don't really know, man. Uh, yeah, it's just kind of magic. It was he was bred that way, right? You, yeah, you, you crossbreed, you know, with your cousins like, enough because no. there, there's a very thin science fiction veneer on this yeah. Messiah with, story, yeah, with drugs, right? Space with space drugs, lots of drugs, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And and that's the thing, right? Is uh, I, I controversially think that uh, science fiction basically is a kind of fantasy, right? Uh, you know, if we want to, I, I hate using the phrase magic system, right? Because it's usually uh, an attempt to scientize the supernatural, which is like, then it's not supernatural. If you can understand it with natural processes, that's what the word supernatural means. But so that's um, why I did hard magic, because I straight up went with a straight science fiction. Yeah explanation for the magic system but it was just magic right so this like this border is very fuzzy yeah right and and often when you're inventing like your own physics to explain ftl or something like that you're basically inventing rules for magic right in the same way that you know brandon sanderson does when he you know figures out like which rocks you need to you know freebase so um <laughs> if if i snort lead i will gain <laughs> headaches i will, yeah. <laughs> I will yes and uh, insanity <laughs> Uh, and, and the empire will collapse. <laughs> My gums will bleed a lot. Um, well, and, and Larry and I have talked about that that concept a lot as it applies to direct, just directly to fantasy. But I, I think it, I do think it relates very strongly to what you're talking about, Chris, and, and the idea of science fiction, quote unquote. And that's that, like when when Larry and I compare, say, Servants of War, the, the Age of Raven series that we write together, we compare that versus something like like Mistborn or Stormlight, right? Where where it's, yeah, it, it, it's people snorting different types of metals to give them very, 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 very specific powers that go for a certain duration. All that stuff is very quantifiable. It's, 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 a sci- it's scientific at that point. Whereas on, on our side, it's more like, well, that magic's bad. Well, we just had gods and, and fairies. Evil. I mean, yeah. we we straight up went old school in that series, and so it kind of it kind of differentiates and separates them much in the same way. I think that what you're saying is, you know, you have like Peter Hamilton, where you're getting a discourse on, I don't know, because I don't I don't understand Peter Hamilton. You know, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, it's quantum physics. I, I was on a panel once, and it was Greg Benford, Norman Spinrad, and Joe uh, and Joe Haldeman, or Joe Haldeman. That's quite the lineup. Right. And then me. (laughs) 
Now, I think I, I was there because I was the moderator because I'm always the freaking moderator. Well, I guarantee you had the lowest GPA. Dude, I had, I, I had the lowest brain cell count, like by far <laughs> compared to these guys. And I remember at one point during this, they were going on about the, the 38 different degrees that they have, you know, between them. And, and they were talking about some science stuff that I'm like, guys, I'm an accountant. Like, I just need to know, can I, can I make a formula in Excel that does this? But I had no idea what they were talking about. And at a certain point, I stopped all of them, which I realized was probably uh, awfully, awfully uppity of me. Oh, presumptuous, but you're our moderator. <clears throat> and I said, I said, guys, I said, you're all very smart. You're way smarter than I am. You're probably way smarter than the audience. And I said, I have no idea what you're talking about. I said, and I'm not sure how, if the, any of the audience knows what you're talking about. I said, can you simplify this in help me and them understand how you take all that smart stuff and turn it into a book and it turned out and it turned out to be a really good thing, but it takes that explanation. Whereas with science, you know, science fantasy, sword and planet, whatever you want to talk about, I feel like, I feel like I don't need to explain all this stuff. I feel like I can just let emotion and characters rule the day. Does yeah. that feel legit? Yeah, no, I, I, I think that's often that, that, that is often the case, right? The stories are about people, mm -hmm. right? Now, if you want your story to also be about differential equations and like quantum theory, that's that's like totally awesome, right? I, I love Alistair Reynolds. He's one of my oh, one of my so favorite good. science fiction writers. Yeah, you and I have talked about. Him he's before. a writer I cannot emulate. No, right? Uh, I just don't have the technical background. It will not occur to me to make an inertial dampener terrifying. Uh, you know, but he did, uh, and it's incredibly awesome. But the, the broader point, I guess, that I was making is that whether you're writing science fiction or fantasy, you basically have to go through the same process, uh, and you have to figure out how the world works and how the things that are different from our world make your world different in some way, whether that's a technological innovation, whether or not that's genius, right? You have to go through the same process in creating the story. Um, and um, I just want to be able to have both genies and quantum equations. Uh, you know, and uh, it, it is not too much to ask for both in this line of work, right? You can, oops, um, you can uh, totally uh, do that. And um, well, skillful application, you can get away with pretty much anything, as long as like, we talked about the show before. The, the, the like, primary commandment is: is it entertaining? If it's entertaining enough, then the audience will follow you. They'll 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 follow you into that breach, as long as you can give them some plausible thing. That makes it make sense in context. They'll run with anything, right? You know, oh yeah, it's uh, because of the particle they discovered. Yeah, sure, okay. Yeah, it's vibranium. Yeah, it's yeah. totally fine. The shield can do that. Yeah, uh, it's, somehow it's dinosaurs <laughs> and Greek Olympus gods on some Mars planet or something. Dan, Dan Simmons. Simmons. That's so good though. Oh, right? we've uh, talked about that. That is my favorite Dan Simmons. Uh, oh, show. Olympus and Ilium. Yeah, uh, he is so good. He mine's, should write more. Mine's of those. carrying comfort. Uh, that probably won't surprise. Oh, anybody. that's a good one. Oh, actually, I, there, there's not really. I like all of Dan Simmons. I think he's a genius, and he's a dude that can shift gears between genres, which is funny because he doesn't live in the science fiction ghetto or science fiction fantasy ghetto with us. He's literature, even though if I write a book with Martian dinosaurs, you know, it's like it's a Larry Korea explodey spaceships novel. I'd be like sneered upon. Dan Simmons, Dan Simmons does that, and it's genius. He's gonna dial up the Proust references. That's the trick. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't read enough classical literature. That's my. I, I. I couldn't really channel Canterbury Tales for four giant novels. Yeah, uh, he's man. He's so good. Um, 
man. But um, but yeah, no, you you um, you kind of have to just make make a choice, right? And um, and you have to stick to those choices. There's a thing my dad likes to say all the time because he's a, he's an engineer, right? He says, uh, and this is a classic adage, right? It's uh, any any fool can make a bridge. It takes an engineer to make one that just barely stands, and uh, that's like true. Kind of in a lot of things, right? You know, in, in cooking, you don't want to like like anyone can season something, but you can make it too salty, right? You have to know what the right amount is to make it taste good, and and that's true in writing too. You need to figure out how much you know salt you need, right? Uh, and if you want to try and make something work, like basically, uh, there are no like hard and fast rules besides like use paragraphs and like punctuation. Um, well, you know, Cormac McCarthy might disagree. Uh, yeah. yeah, but like I have a hard time reading those. For <laughs> yeah, reason. and I've said the shows like 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 for the readers like guys, you aren't Cormac McCarthy. Exactly. Put, use punctuation. Right, you yes. kind of have to like earn those to, the, the, to break fundamental laws of literature. You have to, in fact, you know, be some sort of super being, and he maybe right. Uh, you know, I'm not there yet, but um, but yeah, you know. Um, Anything can basically work. If you want to do a hard science fiction series that, for whatever reason, has a ghost in it, you can, and it could just literally be a ghost. You don't have to explain it sometimes. You know, you can make that work. Um, but I, you know, I was a Star Wars kid, right? I, I, I like to joke that I'm like the last kid who had the, the original Star Wars. I had the laser discs because my dad was that guy. So I watched the Unlucas versions right before the prequels came out. So I, was, I, I had Star Wars in its, you know, the, the, the pure and the true, the uncut Star Wars uh, before it started to change. And, uh, and that was that was what made me want to tell stories, right? And I wanted to tell stories like that. I wanted to have a laser sword, right, and fight robots, but also have magic powers. And, um, you know, as I said in the, the first episode we did, right, I started out writing kind of an epic fantasy thing, and the series turned into uh, a science fiction project. But it didn't go all the way over, right? There are still elements of like, that's too cool to lose, or like, what if I did this instead? And... Um, and and this actually sort of informed what I really think the Sun Eater is about, which is which is um, about thinking we live in this like sort of very mechanical scientific world and finding out that there are in fact is in fact more and and deeper truths to the universe. This is sort of a an arc for the series because it gets weirder uh, as it goes on. Steve's only read book one, so I you know um, I, I started book two. Okay, yeah, it's yeah. gonna get a lot weirder. I think you'll like it. It's it scarier. I'm very very excited. So. I'm very very excited. It's. Yeah, I, you know, I, I tend to agree with you, Chris. I, I think that, I mean, what's the what's the old um, what's the old saying? It's uh, any sufficiently advanced science is indistinguishable from magic. Clark's third law, sure, right? And, uh, and and I and I really really like exploring the line uh, in the stuff that I write, where it's what where is that line between superstition and supernatural? You know, where is that blurry where is that blurry line? And one of the the awesome things that that we get to do is as fantasy authors and science fiction authors and, and whatever as, as speculative fiction authors at large is man we just get to cherry pick we just get to do whatever the freak we want sure as long as like you know like like we always say as long as it's entertaining then we win like that that's all there is to it oh yeah that's the thing is like, honestly I, I see all the time where writers will get hung up on the rules Yep. Like the rules of genre, the rule, and it's an amateur hour kind of thing. Like you get on a panel, and there's somebody who's hung up on defining the genre for the whole hour, and it's almost always the least successful author on the panel. Yeah, inevitably. Yeah, and the thing about that too, right, is is that because, like, like I said, science fiction and fantasy can do all these things that are classically thought of as genres, right? Romance, biography, you know, these sorts mm -hmm. of things. 
Um, getting hung up on that is kind of pointless because you can do 27 things at once. Um, and I think part of this, obviously, is the nature of the market, right? Especially if you're an indie writer, you need to know which little subcategories you need to target to get the algorithm. And I totally understand that. I'm very sympathetic to, like, you know, you have to deal with these, uh, you know, economic Yeah, it's a marketing concern rather than a creative sort of concern. But we start talking to people like that. And you can see the light leave people's eyes when writers are like, what I'm actually writing is a, like, post-punk, gothic, cyberpunk thing with, like, a reduction of uh, cosmic horror and, like, a demi-glaze uh, of some romance. Uh, like, what is this? And I put stats so it's lit RPG because right. that's yeah. hot right now. Like it starts to sound like molecular gastronomy, and like people don't and not mostly want to eat that, right? They mostly want to go and get a steak. Uh, you know, <laughs> uh, they don't. They like people get turned off by fancy food, and you know when they're being told what's in, you know what it is, it's like, oh, I'm not smart enough to eat this. And when yeah. you start rambling like this, so many writers do. Uh, what you're doing is undercutting normal people's interest in what in what your work is. So you know, I will, you know won't go any more complicated than saying science fantasy because I want people to know that's what they're getting, uh, you know? Uh, yeah, you know, when... To, it's a fancy to, cheeseburger, Yeah, but I was going to say, to carry on with that is it's, it's you can go to the fancy restaurant and they tell you the 73-word, the you know, description of, well, it's a small piece of steak. Or you say, it's pizza. And everybody knows what pizza is, Right. So, okay, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, I want to get into some of the tips and tricks and maybe some of the dangers of, uh, of exploring this quote-unquote genre. We'll be right back. Do you want to become new friends with an old book? Sunflower Sales prides itself on its wide-ranging selection of books, from fiction to practical, whimsical to philosophical as well as excellent customer service and fast shipping. Browse our selection today and sail on the seas of knowledge. Go to ebay.com slash str slash sunflower dash sales today. Don't worry, I'll put a link in the show notes. Sunflower sales, S-A-I-L-S on eBay. Check them out. All right, everybody, welcome back. Okay, in the top half of this episode, we were we were kind of talking about Sword and Planet, what it is, um, what differentiates it from from things more like you know your hard SF and, and stuff like that, and, and and why we actually like it so much. But being as this is you know the, our, our tagline for this is we actually want to give you nuts and bolts on how to do some of these things. We we thought that we would actually kind of talk about that a little bit here. Uh, yeah, you know we we would actually do what we say we were going to do. So um, before we, I guess, before we talk about like the things that we've, that we've used ourselves and the various stories that we've written that, that kind of fall within this, mm-hmm. what are some of the biggest mistakes that we've either made ourselves or that we've seen when it comes to this sort of a thing? I'll start with you, Chris. Well, with regard to science fantasy, the risk is, is if you're trying to write science fantasy, the risk is falling too hard in one direction. Okay. Right. And it's not like that big a risk. It's sort of like, oh, I forgot to, you know, we did the chocolate peanut butter thing. I forgot the peanut butter. Well, I have chocolate. Like, it's all right. Um, but if that's something you're you're aiming for and you want this sort of mixture of things, um, you know, we, we talked to about how genres, uh, you know, they're, they're kind of uh, kind of like a collection of tropes, right? There's this, um, r- more than they are really anything else when we say things like science fiction or like more specific, like cyberpunk is really a look. 
right? right. And a feel yes. more than it is like a kind of story. You it's, tell the same kind of story. Yeah, it's almost more of an emotion. Yeah. You know, and, and, a way of thinking. And in trying to get to science fantasy, right, you're, what you need to do basically is grab some of the, the literal nuts and bolts from science fiction and fantasy and put them together into this horrible Frankenstein's monster of a, of a book, right? And And so you need to look for... You know, things from both that you think are cool, right? You know, you want to do a story with robots and, oh, dragons are neat. Like, because having those things together in the same place is usually enough for the reader to be like, oh, like, this is a science fiction novel, but, like, also a fantasy novel that's cool. Uh, you know, but you just need to find stuff like that. So, like, like Dune, for example, uh, like, I tend to argue falls into this sort of planetary romance, sword and planet kind of thing, right? Because uh, it is swords, uh, for example, uh, and, uh, you know, you have to come up with a reason, like, why the heck would we ever use swords in the future? Like when guns. When we have laser guns? When we have, yeah, you know, guns, period, right? Laser guns, weird, uh, like, sci-fi weapons, like, we've got the Hunter Seeker. Which actually does put, to me, the biggest plot hole in the entire series is if the, the reason you would use swords with your energy shields and lasers was that if a laser interacted with a shield, it would cause, like, a nuclear explosion. I hate that. Well, the bad thing about that is, like, you know... 40,000 years in the future, whatever it is, Johnny School Shooter is just going to go down to Home Depot and buy, uh, you know, make, basically make a nuclear weapon. So, a bit of a plot hole there. It is, uh, it is a little bit rough. I, I you know, I, I, so I have the shields in, in Sun Eater, for example. You do. Because I, uh, I thought they were cool. I like sword fights. I know how to write sword fights, which is the thing. I am not uh, a gun expert, right? And there are things I'm, I'm like, not going to get right. You know, I could go do research and be an adult or... I can write a really good sword fight, and I would like like to do that. It's so, too bad my range is buried in snow. We could go out tomorrow and uh, that would be awesome. Take it to my place. Um, come out sometime when it's not you know uh, snowed under, but uh, but like you have to sort of play to your strengths too, right? And uh, like I have I have a background in you know fencing, a little bit of HEMA, and so like I wanted to do that, and so you come up with you know a technological and a world building sort of reason to to have that and there are like more reasons in, in sun eater than just oh we have shields like uh, a gun on a spaceship is a terrible idea yeah right and like there's no real spaceship stuff in dune really right uh and and so i wanted to have a similar feel too because i wanted people who like dune to be like oh this guy's one of us right and that backfires with some readers but uh they're like oh he's just this is just dune like i could just read dune uh, but um you want to do you want to do stuff differently? So yeah, you, they're wrong. Yeah, yeah, it's quite it's quite different actually. Uh, but um, you uh, you grab you grab these little elements and you sort of you sort of piece stuff together. And if your intention, like deliberately top down, is to write a science fantasy novel, the thing you might want to do then is figure out what you like about fantasy and what you like about science fiction. That could be really simple stuff like swords uh, or robots. Or it could be sort of like deeper stuff because there are different stories thematically that you can tell in those genres, right? Uh, you know, um, fantasy tends to be, you know, tends to tie into more like classical sort of archetypal storytelling, things like the hero's journey. You don't do that as much in science fiction. It tends to be more like, you know, you got like your Star Trek, like culture clash stuff or like how do we solve this technical problem? And like a good question to ask is like, what could I do sort of thematically that feels both like a fantasy story and a science fiction story? Maybe you want to do the first contact thing, but you've also, maybe the native aliens are dealing with some sort of shamanic heroes quest that they've got to go on, but you've also got like this Starfleet guy who's like come down to come to this planet and he has to like help the guy do the heroes thing. Maybe you've also got like the warring houses. I don't know, right? Like, we're totally riffing here, but, um, but like the books are also like 
sort of let's say spiritually different right they're like doing di- different things um the genres rather are doing different things so that, that you might want to look at nuts and bolts on like that dimension and not just sort of window dressing you know well yeah because like the society you created you went kind of a uh i guess feudal is not the empire you went very empire yeah it's very byzantine yeah and uh but you had you had a specific world building reasons for that which made sense in context of the book when I said about doing it wrong, one of the things that popped in my mind, I don't know if this is a, a, where, where it was like you put too much science in something that was more fantasy, was when they did the Star Wars prequels and they introduced midichlorians oh, sure. to explain oh. the force. Everybody hated that. Like literally everybody in the world thought that was awful. Why? Because that was one of the things where it was fantasy that was cool and we all thought, wow, magic yeah. space wizards. Space magic. That's baby. cool, man. It was mysterious. But then it was just like they added this little stupid explanation that was like a science explanation. I have never met anyone who likes that. Yeah, no. Uh, I thought it was funny when the Mandalorian kind of brought it back, though. Uh, there was a reference to M counts, and I was like, "Oh, they're they're keeping that. Oh, that's very funny. Okay, uh, don't know how I feel about that, but it's it's you went there, John Favreau. Well played, uh, you know. But um, you know." <laughs> But no, nobody likes that, right? It's one of those choices, like, in dealing with fantasy, you often, like, you don't want to make choices, and this is kind of true in general, but definitely on the fantasy side of things, you don't want to make choices that make the world smaller, and, and midi-chlorians make the world smaller, because it explains something that shouldn't be explained. Uh, and, and often, and this is sort of a, maybe a sin that science fiction writers have more than fantasy writers, although that's kind of changing with the, like, magic system right, stuff, right. right, where everything has to be explained so that you can make a, 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 a TTRPG book out of it, um, which, like, that's fine, but, like, man, like, novels are not game books, you know, uh, they're different, they're different things, um, is, is that you make these choices that shrink things. And, um, and you don't want to like, you don't want to do that because you want to give your readers like the sort of most nutrient dense story you can give them. And if you are, are making things, uh, easily explained or like very concrete like that, people don't get to argue about how the force works or why, or could you do that? And it actually like dampens their ability to imagine what the extent of the force's limitations might be, for example. And now from a writer's perspective, like you want to make sure that you can't just pull stuff out of, you know, thin air and make it feel cheap. But that's sort of where the the craft comes in and dealing with this stuff is you have to, as the writer, not make it feel cheap, right? That's actually your responsibility. And I think the rules and and sort of concretizing a lot of the stuff, oh, Anakin is more powerful because he has a higher, you know, mitochondrial count in his body, right? Like, okay, sure. But now we know why he's so good as opposed to like, it has something to do with his character or his journey or, you know, the gods, right? And, uh, and that makes it, that makes it shallower. That makes it smaller. Um, and if you want to do science fantasy, this is exactly the sort of thing you don't want to do. Uh, you know, because in science fiction, that's the sort of thing you would want to do because you want to get into the, you know, the, the, the Peter Hamilton of it all. You want to get well, technical. Well, and, and, and typically the, the more concrete you get with things, the more, the more that those details and those, you know, the, the technology, so to speak, that turns into the solution to whatever your problems are. It's that thing because you've explained it so much and everyone's doing this so much and it's such a focus. And so everybody has to be using it. Uh, and, and it needs to be that right there. That is your focus. And, and you know, again, we, we're seeing a lot of that in fantasy these days where, where it's being so, you know, scientified up to where you know that because there's been so much detail put on 
this aspect of a magic system that you know it has to become the solution to the problems at the end of the book, right? Well, like I did, I, hard magic, I went, I mean, hell, it's in the name. Right. Yeah, and that's intentional. But one of the things, too, is because it was part of the setting, as I said in the 1930s, was the age of reason and science and uh, you know a lot of pseudoscience where people were trying to quantify everything and put a stat block on everything. And so that was part of the story was that. I mean, and so, so I think it's one of those things, it's not necessarily a bad thing, but it's definitely if you if you have it and you need it to be mysterious and supernatural, you can't put a stat block on it. Right. Yeah. Well, this you is know. maybe tangent to the conversation we're having, but your world building choices should like prop up your thematic choices, right? right. You know, you, like your your characters' motivations, their powers should have something to do with their journey as a character. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, you know, and the the nature of the world building too should like reinforce what it is you're trying to say, right? Because like even when you're writing, you know fantasy you're trying to say something whether that's as simple as like being a hero is good right it doesn't have to be complicated uh but if you like if you make your character make choices that don't support that or you have world building choices that don't support your thesis that i don't know the king coming back to gondor is good right uh then your book is getting in its own way so like you kind of you need to tie uh basic stuff like world building like how like do they have swords into into the field here because if you know, they talked like, let's say in Dune, if they talked like, I don't know, like Wall Street guys, and you were talking about, like, instead of being dukes and stuff, they were like director of, you know, spice production. The, the window dressing was weird, but they had swords. It would feel a lot weirder, right? You need to have sort of everything fit together from like the very, the granular level all the way up to like the big overarching thematic sort of structural stuff. And um, when you're kind of blending these different genres here, um, it's very easy to get kind of discordant. It's like introducing a bad note into a song. And um, and so that's something that you got to be kind of cognizant of too. You want to make sure all the pieces are fitting together. This is probably true of basically anything, but the thing about science fantasy is that you're trying to reconcile what is to a lot of, I think, modern people, like two very different kind of worldviews, right? The whole sort of, you know, reason versus faith, science, religion stuff that people feel so often and I think foolishly are incompatible, um, you know. Um, you know, it... it, it maybe gets harder for some people because they need to find, you know, maybe a scientific explanation for the supernatural, the fantasy elements, or they need to find a fantastic explanation for the science elements. And it is okay, actually, to just not do either of those things. You can you can keep both the fantasy track and the science fiction track moving. And this is really, I think, the only plot hole, because, like, uh, the only pothole uh, in trying to target science fantasy is is that if you fall one way or the other you're gonna just be a sci-fi writer or a fantasy writer which is like totally fine um i but, think you could even take the exact same story and just depending on your point of view character it could be fantasy or sci-fi yeah oh there's a really great gene wolf uh novel novella novelette it's called trip trap and it's got two point of view characters uh one of them is like a starfleet guy and one of them is a medieval knight from this he's like an alien but he's a medieval knight and they have to go and fight a troll that lives under a bridge and it's it's like an alien from like an even older civilization that like crashed and was hibernating on this on this planet, and it alternates from like captain's log entries and like the knight's diary after the fact, and uh, it's the troll also like impacts their uh, sort of perceptions, so it has like telepathic powers, and so it sort of all sort of wraps together thematically. Super good. You can read it in one sitting. 
Um, but uh, because it jumps back and forth between the, the two guys' sort of perception of what's going on, it um, it's very you get two very different takes on the situation. Gene Wolfe is like the master of this yeah. sort of thing. Oh yeah, right. And um, and it it literally is. It's a sci-fi story in half of it. It's a fantasy story in the other half of it. And it's the same story, but the orientation of the characters is so different that um, you get these two different looks at it in, in one place, uh, which is super super cool. I I do find that. When when I'm reading something that is, quote unquote, science fantasy um, or sword and planet or whatever, yeah. right? Um, I I tend to I tend to expect a much more character focused story. Um, we, you know, like like when I, when I'm reading when I'm reading Sun Eater, I know that the characters are the most important parts of that story for me, and. And the way that they come across and their attitudes and the things that they're doing, like, like that all, that all matters more than the fact that, you know, Hadrian goes into cryo sleep for a minute, you know, whereas if I were reading something that was a little bit more hard science fiction or whatever, there would be, there would be like three pages of Tom Clancy-esque uh, details on how the cryo sleep works. And it's like, you know what? It puts him in suspended animation and he comes out of it. And, you know, and well, he and, and, so, and, you know, they get sick when they come out of it for a little bit. If it's a trope that the audience is going to be familiar with, then you don't need to spend all that time on it. I mean, if, now if you're writing, like you said, the Alistair Reynolds, uh, David Weber kind of stuff, you're going to explain all your technology. Yeah. That's that's hard sci-fi. Yeah. But like I honestly like so if they're flying around on a hover barge, it's a hover barge. It's, it's a, a hover hovering barge. barge. You know, I don't need to go into how it hovers unless that's what the story is about. Yeah, this is where the first person came in so usefully for me, right? Hadrian is not a tech guy. He does not know how this stuff works. And so that it works is basically all he is concerned with. And he is writing the actual story. So he does not feel the need to go into this stuff because cryosleep is a pretty normal part of his existence. He's too busy killing aliens. He is way too busy killing aliens. Well, I drive a car. If I was narrating my personal life, I'm going to go get in my car and drive. I'm not going to stop and explain how the from my point of view how the internal combustion engine works right exactly you know this is um this is something i think i think jordan peterson said in one of in one of his interviews he's talking about how like a car isn't a car for most people until it breaks right uh then it's a car and you have no idea what a car is uh, and so you know this is very very true uh with like science fiction devices right if you're writing from point of view right you don't need to explain these things. This is again. I'm gonna I'm gonna keep praising Gene Wolfe because it's what I do. Um, like there are characters in Book of the New Sun that are robots, and the main character doesn't know what that is or think that it's weird. So he never really tells you, "Oh, this guy is a robot," because they're just robots, and it's like so commonplace he doesn't think about it. And you have to sort of think about like, why is that guy's head moving funny? Is he like, oh, he's like C-3PO, right? Uh, you know, or like, why do the horses have talons? Because horses have talons in those books, and uh, deal with it basically you know and you get to make these sorts of decisions um you know but um the the basic thing i guess is just that um you know you you have a lot of flexibility here uh um and and that is a really important thing to remember i did want to go back though to when you were talking um about um sort of you know ch uh, changing the question right and focusing on character and things right. like that um when you when you, if you do fall, I think, too far one way or the other, you change the conversation among readers. And if you notice, like, you, one of the ways you can notice that you've, like, made a, made a left turn somewhere is the conversation about your work has suddenly changed. And uh, to keep picking on Star Wars, 
Um, we're going to talk about Larry's favorite movie, The Last Jedi, for yes. five seconds. Oh, yes. Um, one of the reasons you can tell it's, it's a bad movie. movie it, it's my favorite movie, too. It's it's so something. Oh my I God. could um, do a 45-minute rant off the cuff and never once repeat myself. Yeah, oh, me story too. Story problems with that. I mean, me too. But your swear words would repeat. We already made Jack edit the profanity episode. We won't. We can't do that. But one of the ways you can tell that that movie is uh, is not a good Star Wars movie is it's the first time I can remember, like everybody, and I mean everybody, not just like hardcore nerds, being like, "Wait a minute, that hyperspace thing totally changes the game." Right? Oh, and for Star sure. Wars fans, like casual Star Wars fans, like my dad, do not watch Star Wars and go, "How does hyperspace work?" Right, they don't they don't sit there and like work through the technical complications. Like everyone knows, like lightsabers make no sense, right? But we're like we like lightsabers; they're really cool. Rule of um, cool, Trauma yeah, cool. it's totally fine. But the fact that that movie made a choice that caused you know very casual Star Wars fans, and it, you know like like again, my dad, my dad like the movies are all that's real. Like I, these books, even TV shows, don't really care. Mandalorian's okay, I guess, but like. My dad basically is like an episode four fundamentalist, right? He's like, that is the only one. Uh, he's like, it is just Star Wars, New Hope. Don't know what that is. Episode what now? Um, right? You know, he he's like, I'm not dealing it's with It's just this. the Star Wars. It's That's... just the Star Wars. Yeah, yeah exactly. And uh, so, like, if even he is like, wait a minute, this movie, like, totally, like, messed stuff up. Because I remember when that came out, everybody was, like, having this really technical conversation about how that makes no sense, right? Or, like, the really slow chase scene with the spaceships. That's the whole movie, right? Everyone's like, this is like totally changing the game from how we understood it was for seven movies, right? By doing that, you suddenly make that movie more a sci-fi movie than the other Star Wars movies are sci-fi movies. They're science fantasy movies. And and so this is like a sort of indicator that like, you know, something went wrong. And and if this is the, the big problem trying to write science fantasy is that you could write one way or the other, this is the sort of thing you can only really find out after the fact. But if you've got... Um, you know, early readers, and they're asking you very technical questions. You might have erred too hard on the on mm. the side of science fiction. This That's is really good. Beta readers are super super invaluable. You know, I've got like half a dozen really good ones, uh, and this is the sort of thing that a couple of them, you know, will 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 catch. Like Christopher, like we don't. You know, that, that's a bridge too far, right there. Yeah, you, you've been, and it could go the other way too, right? Because sometimes you'd be like a little too numinous. You're like, I don't understand this like space monster that's kind of magic. Like, can you? Like, can you make that a little more concrete? Because you, like, tried to explain it, and it, like, didn't come through, right? So, you know, if, if you find that people are talking in a way you'd expect them to talk, if you turn it into a sci-fi novel, right, you know, maybe maybe you need to change some things. So if you're looking for, like, a real, uh, you know, sort of, like, writer bit of advice thing, you know, that sort of feedback is really useful. It doesn't help you in, like, the setup phase, but, man, like, writing is rewriting, right, as everyone <laughs> likes to say, uh, which I hate because rewriting is the worst part. Yes, um, oh yeah, writing is fun. Editing is work. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, but it's true. Uh, and so, you know, if you get an opportunity for people to give you that kind of feedback, man, it is it is hard uh, hard to value that highly enough. Um, All right, you know, I I think that's a good spot to end for for this episode and to to kind of to kind of end off on a good note there. Um, we really hope that you've enjoyed listening to, to Chris as much as we have. Um, it's funny when, when we have guests on and, and the guests are, you know, you know, they're, they're talking and they're off spouting wisdom. A lot of times Larry and I just kind of end up looking at each other like, huh, that's really cool. Well, it's nice to get other people on with other perspectives because, you know, we don't know everything. No, no. I mean. We fake it. We try to. You know, we, we, we pretend. We fake it till we make it. Yeah. But, yeah. All right. Well, hey, Chris, we appreciate you uh, 
coming on the show again. Yeah, that's right. You know, it was it was really difficult because we recorded all these episodes at once. And yeah, so it was well, really difficult to have you, you know, just stay in that same chair. Normally, I stop existing when people aren't looking at me. So yeah. this was, you know, this was easy. I got to stay here. I didn't <laughs> have to soap bubble out of existence. All right, everybody. Uh, again, thank you so much for listening. We appreciate all of you. Um, and yeah, this is the Writer Dojo. We'll see you on the next one. Writer Dojo is Steve Diamond and Larry Korea, produced by Jack Wilder and Bear and Hair Studios. Theme song, Word Mercenaries by Craig Nibo. New episodes come out every Wednesday wherever you stream your content. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can help support us by going to anchor.fm slash writer dojo, by leaving a five-star rating and review, and by helping to spread the word. To advertise on the Writer Dojo, email ads at writerdojo.com. All questions and comments can be emailed to questions at writerdojo.com. I had the lowest brain cell count. Can we use your big old brain? The biggest. So swole. (laughs) Your brain is swole.